Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to The Slaughter Podcast. Oh, we're changing it up, are we? Yes. Merry Christmas! Unless you're not listening to this at Christmas time, in which case, mm, happy Wednesday. Right. Oh, just before we started, I thought I'd mention there's been some updates. I this is ill-informed because I don't know exactly what they are, but I know that Babes in the Wood, um, he's been re-arrested. I don't even know his name. He's been <laughs> Mr. Babe. This man. Off of the woods. Because <laughs> we did the episode where we had two babes in the woods at once, didn't we? Yes. My babes in the wood. Your babes in the wood. Your, I'm taking responsibility for this murder. So Russell Bishop has actually been jailed for the crimes now. I'm not going to say it's down to us. Because but it's we not. did draw attention to the crime right about the time it happened. In around 100 I people. mean, cause and effect is a weird thing. Yeah. The universe is always busy. Yeah, I mean... We're not claiming we did it. <laughs> We just can't be convinced that we didn't contribute I mean, to it. Us and the teacher's pet. I mean, like, that's sort of the same now. So uh, anyway, it's exciting because he's been arrested for the uh, the murder of the two girls. And I I said at the end, I hope he's done it because I've made out he's done it this whole episode. And thankfully, it's pretty clear he has. Anyway, that's the there's one good thing to come out of this situation. Is that now I'm you are it. validated. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to be doing the crime, uh, what well, the murders by David. Let's hope they fucking did it. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're going to get caught after. <laughs> David McGreevy. And this was one that was recommended, I think, on Twitter um, by a listener. And oh, I started researching this one. Did I, tell- I don't know if I said that on Twitter. I started researching this one and was like, it's too gross. <laughs> well, I was like, sure. Surely not. People will not be down for this story. And then they were recommending it, so fuck it. Well, I thought the week before Christmas was the perfect time for it. I couldn't eat. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna. I, it's grim. I've not gone into a. I've, in fact, I've gone into too much detail. But I don't know the details of the story. I just know there's an image. There's a lot of imagery. Yeah, it's awful. But this is a murder podcast. It would be out of place on your Christian podcast. I think here it's fine. 
So he was born in 1951 in Southport. Um, he was part of a large family, uh, moved around in the armed forces. We've seen a, a, quite a lot of that before. I don't mm. know. I'd, who'd have thought <laughs> that professional killing would make you more likely to be a murderer? <laughs> yeah, well, he wasn't actually in the armed... Well, he was actually in the armed forces for a bit, but... I don't think there's a link between that. I don't know if there, there's a lot of these young kids who were grown up in the army, or I don't know if we've done so many murders that we're just... This is how some people live. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's more of them or this is just a British thing. Yeah, I think it... I don't think no. there's any correlation there. So he w- seemed generally happy. He wasn't like um, some kids who were in a lot of trouble. He he was pretty well behaved. He left school at 15 um, and then he signed up for the Navy. Um, uh, he didn't get on very well there. He was seen as a bit rude and arrogant. Nothing massive, but the people just didn't really like him. So he was dismissed from the Navy in 1971 because things did escalate and he started a fire in a waste paper bin, um, which caused some damage. Like, I don't... That's what he got fired for? Yeah. I mean, it caused quite a lot of damage to a dorm room, but it's not like some of the aggression that we've seen. A fire in from... a bin? That's like hijinks. Well, the Yorkshire Ripper, he got turfed out because he said his bum was burning, didn't he? The other week. Oh, yeah. So this, I mean... This burn like a little fire in a bin. Yeah. Like we've all wanted to set fire to bins. Yeah. I mean, we've all done it. Everyone <laughs> has done it. And I don't think people in glass houses should throw matches at bins. <laughs> so he moved back in with his parents in Worcester. Um, and he began writing to, to, I mean, I think, so he began writing to the sister of one of the men that he met in the Navy. I think really his his mate had gone, I've got a sister, you're single, I'm going to, like, I'll pass on her address. But she was like a sickly woman. I think probably he was like, she needs a, bo- a boyfriend, you'll do. She'll take anyone who <laughs> yeah. can write. Uh, yeah so he met her in person and very quickly like within weeks proposed to her um but he was unemployed he was becoming an alcoholic and then a real catch and then he planned a really expensive wedding with money that he didn't really have um he should have gone to zola and then she dumped him oh fuck! because she was like yeah not for me like I might have one year to live. I don't want to spend it with you. <laughs> I don't know how ill she was, but she broke off the relationship. She was over it. So he began drinking even more heavily. Um, he didn't really look for work either. So his parents decided to throw him out. They thought that's a good incentive. So he found a- sometimes you've done all you can do. To be fair, he did seem to pick up after this. So he he began living with an old school friend and his wife and their children, which is sort of strange now it's the 70s but he lives with this guy called clive and his wife elsie and she had a baby when she was 16 so she's quite a young mother but she's got another child by this point and she's pregnant again and they kind of got married quite young because of this child as well so he paid six pounds a week and he rented a room but he rented a room it was him and the four-year-old child in this room (laughs) That's which is not okay. really strange imagine that advert on spare room like the kind of people that i've got a spare room. room but just a small portion of it <laughs> is being used by a child a four-year-old like what the fuck so it 
very, very strange circumstances. Even in the 70s, that must have been weird. It must have, well, that obviously shows that they must have been doing it as a temporary thing, like just to help him out. You wouldn't have years. Years. That kid grew up having a man in his bedroom. Yeah, (laughs) imagine that. Like, that's stuff of nightmares, but it's actually just a man. Very strange. So, Clive. I don't think um, David McGreevy worked. So Clive, he was a lorry driver. And once the baby was about seven months old, so he's been there for months and months because she didn't have the baby when he moved in. Elsie got a job as a barmaid as well. So they're both working. So it sort of suited them because he would do the childcare then. So he's like a living babysitter. It's just weird that he was sharing a room with one of the babies. He's basically a nanny. Yeah. Except his references are arsonist synonymous <laughs> the royal navy division exactly um the neighbors and the wider family obviously knew that he was living there they knew of him they and they said no concerns he he was basically like a second father to these children he seemed to be a fit parent but he was only 20 years old but then they'd been pretty young when they'd had the the first child and the second um so he was a little bit younger than clive but he wasn't like ridiculously noticed being younger and uh, apparently like if um elsie got a little bit sort of he thought she was being unfair on the children he'd step in he'd sort of advocate for the kids so they kind of thought he's he's like a good man like they had no problems with him yeah so the crime happens on friday 13th of april 1973 um, I don't know if that's maybe where Friday the 13th being a horrible date comes from. I don't know. Um, so Elsie was working at the pub that night. Clive was at home with McGreevy, um, but he left because usually when she was working late, what he'd do was he'd go, he'd help her clean up at the end of the shift and then he'd have a quick pine and then they'd both drive home. Uh, so McGreevy would just be left in the house with the children. Perfectly normal night, nothing out of the ordinary. McGreevy had been at the pub earlier. He'd had about five pints, but remember, he was also an alcoholic, so probably was. Oh yeah, all of those lovely things we were saying about him being a good babysitter. <laughs> yeah, have now just gone out the window. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how. FYI, much- <laughs> he was yeah. really drunk at the time. True. Um, so he got into a fight in the pub with his friend because. Um, he'd put out a cigarette in his friend's pint, oh which my God. is the height of bad manners. Nobody wants that. Um, so obviously his friend had kicked off quite rightly. Apart from when we used to order fagash pint, I was thinking of that. But we I think had I mentioned fagash pint. <laughs> it, but we had to always say it like that, though, didn't we? Yeah, fagash pint, fagash pint. But it didn't actually have any fagash in it just tasted of fagash it was a beer plus a shot of tequila yeah was it a was it a carling something really or gross carlsberg or something like that with a shot of tequila and genuinely it tastes like fagash yep and then we just dare people to drink it yes yeah, if the night if it, <laughs> it was a particularly dull night out we'd just be like should we make someone drink a fagash pint <laughs> that, was, that was a spate of it wasn't it you yeah. really upset your boyfriend at the time <laughs> Yeah, he walked out. He like stormed out really mardy. No, I think I drank it. <laughs> you can't waste a vagash pint. That's the rules. Once you've defiled the drink in that yeah. way, someone's got to have it. I don't know how we discovered that. That it tasted like vagash. That must have been a messy night. <laughs> so, while at home... Sorry, we're going to go to some horrific murder now. <laughs> 
So you what? might want a fagash pint with you for <laughs> yeah. this. Have a quick sip and then let's continue. So at home, watching the children, there's a seven-month-old Samantha wakes up and she begins crying. So he responds by shouting at her because it's annoying. Um, and then he tells her to shut up. She doesn't, obviously. Um, so McGreevy puts his hand over her mouth and then he strangles her to death and then mutilates her body with a razor and beats her, causing a skull fracture. Completely out of character for him. That's mad. Like, yeah. Like, it's that- like if he was blind, because oh he's looked after these kids for ages yeah. and there, was there any reports of him mistreating them Never. or dodgy injuries? No, so he's been fine with kids. Blind drunk, maybe he's like, oh, shut the fuck up. But then to mutilate afterwards, that's been burning inside you. Yeah. So after killing the poor baby, Samantha, McGreevy goes to find two-year-old Dawn, who's asleep in bed, and strangles her in a bed. Again, uses the razor to slit her throat. And then he goes to find the four-year-old, which is obviously in the room that he shares, who's called Paul. And he uses a curtain wire to strangle him and mutilate the body. Do you think he thought, oh, fuck, I've accidentally killed this baby. Now I've got to make it look like someone has come in and tacked all of them to get away with it. Do you think he was trying to cover it up, like make it seem like someone had broken in and done it? I, I don't think it is because his response afterwards is really... He, like, he's not... He doesn't call the police and say someone's broken it. Like, he doesn't come up with anything else. But... Um, what he does next is even more horrific. That's not even the worst of it. So he goes down to the... Yeah, you thought dead babies was the thing. <laughs> no, it gets way worse. So, I mean, I get... Yeah, I guess they're dead now. But no one else gets murdered, but it's just horrific. So he goes to the basement and he gets a pickaxe. And he uses this to further damage the bodies. And then in a final, like, act, which I... I don't understand. It's not explainable. Even he can't explain it. One by one, he carries each body outside and just impales it on the next door neighbor's wrought iron spiked fence. So it's dark. And then obviously you've got these three bodies horrifically injured and impaled on uh, this fence. So the neighbors don't see these, thankfully, but they do sense that something's wrong. I mean, he's clattering around the house. The baby was crying. Lights are going on and off in different rooms. So they think something strange is going on in that house. So they call the police. The police come and they... Oh, God, can you imagine <sighs> driving? They weren't yeah. expecting that. They just heard a disturbance. And then yeah. you pull up to the house and they would have seen that straight away. Exactly. By torchlight. So you'd have to be pretty near as well. They discover these bodies and they're throwing up. They're traumatised. They have to get counselling for post-traumatic stress disorder. So horrific awful scene to come across and something they'll probably never forget so there's no sign of McGreevy at this point um and so obviously they set out to find the parents uh they return home as they were on the way back from her work and they're taken to the police station to be questioned and I can't even imagine how horrific traumatic that would be to find out all three of your children have been murdered by someone that you allowed into the house and uh, you know, not even allowed into your own house. Uh, you get home, and they're like, "Come with me," and, and to find that out is awful. Obviously, it's it's obvious they don't know anything about it. It wasn't them. They've got an alibi, so then they start looking for David McGreevy, who they say was living in the house. 
um, and becomes the main suspect. Now, it's only a few hours. It's not like he went on the run. He's literally in one of the next streets, just pottering around, and he's arrested. And initially, he tries to pretend that he's innocent, but not for very long. He very quickly admits to the murders. But he, he can't say why. There's no motive. He can't give a motive. He seems as confused by it as them. But there's no, like, hit to the head. There's what no... do you think? I don't know. I I think... Do you think it was, like, a temporary insanity? Because <sighs> I... I don't really want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, I think... But then there's no, there was no sexual contact. There's no... You didn't do anything sexual. That obviously wasn't a motive. Do what you want. Just don't get your dick out. <laughs> but he played with them. He protected with their, like them every day. And then suddenly does this. Like He was really involved in their lives. But then it must... He's not going to be totally honest, either, is he? He's not going to be like, yeah, I've imagined doing this for ages. I don't... I really I just can't know. get my head around it. I can't. I just hope that there wasn't... You can imagine... I know I'm not saying there should be. But you can imagine how when they were telling the police, oh, yeah, and we have this 20-year-old homeless guy who sleeps in the room with the kids, it was probably him that there would have been some judgment at the parents yeah, at that point. exactly. Like, hold up. You let this strange man live in your house and look after your kids. This alcoholic yeah, guy. That's true. So, for the trial, um, the court was completely packed with locals because, obviously, they would be having the same conversations that we're having. How could he do it? How did no one notice? Yeah, like, what kind of person is he? Like, you just would yeah. want to... You'd want to see him. Yeah. And it says that he gave no plea... So I assume that means that he didn't say guilty or innocent. I don't know if you can do that. I didn't think you were allowed to. No. He never gave a motive and he was found guilty of the murder of all the three children. Um, and he was given a sentence of at least 20 years, which I think is a very s- small sentence. So he wasn't just, he wasn't given life? No. 20 years for all three. Now, obviously, in prison, he becomes a massive target by all the prisoners who also can't believe that he's done something like this. And I guess in, there's a hierarchy in prison. I just, I guess, paedophiles and child killers are the ones that the others sort of target. They're the bottom of that hierarchy. Um, so he spent quite a lot of time in protection. He did sometimes stick up for himself. Reportedly, challenged Ian Brady to a fight. Um, over which was the most notorious killer in Britain. So there's some sense of sort of pride there of what he's done. Um, In 2006, he was prepared for release and he was actually let go for an evening. He stayed in a a hospital, a hostel, so like a, a bail hostel in Liverpool. And the press got photos of him walking around Liverpool unsupervised and there was a media frenzy um, people were disgusted that he was out of prison. Um, so then he was put back in prison. And he uh, tried to file for like um, the media to not be able to publish about him getting out the next time that he was supposed to be released. So he said, well, I've got a right to privacy. It Do you know how old he is now? Like? Um, I know that he served... In t- this year, he did 45 years in prison. So he's like in his 60s then. Yeah. So he's actually, on the 4th of December, having spent 45 years in prison, was granted release. So he is in the process of being released now into the public. Um, 
the children's mother is absolutely devastated, obviously. The couple, uh, so Clive and Elsie, didn't actually survive as a couple. There's other people who aren't let out for less. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. The, the argument is that he's no longer a danger to the public and he's reformed and that he knows that he he understands his crimes he feels guilty for those crimes and therefore he why keep him in there any longer why spend the money of mm. him being in there any longer i mean he's not going to have a good life when he gets out because people are going to know who he is and i'm sure there'll be people trying to find out where he's living and stuff and doing stuff to his house and stuff so uh, I don't know. Pretty grim. Really Gross. unexplainable as well. Don't Google it. Yeah, horrid. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, I'm now welcoming you to the second portion of this week's episode, um, starring me. <laughs> I didn't do the murder, but I'm going to be reading about it. That would be the end of the podcast, though, when we do eventually kill someone. Yeah. So, we're going to July of 1960, and Sergeant Henry Burgess was on duty with a constable in the East Ham area of London. It was a Friday night. At this point was when all the pubs used to close at 11. You couldn't serve alcohol after. So around kicking out time, all you had to do was hang around a section where there's a few pubs and there would always be some drunken altercations. And this night, there was a couple of young men having a fight outside of a pub as they left. And so Sergeant Burgess and his colleague intervened and arrested the two boys and took them to hospital because they did both have quite bad injuries. So once they were there, the boys were helped by a trainee nurse called Veronica Baker. 
and she was still only 18 years old herself. Whoa. I'd be like, is there someone older? Yeah. But I suppose there's two policemen there watching. It'll be fine. And it's the night shift on a Friday, so they have yeah. all the trainees on, don't they? But there was an instant connection and oh. attraction between her and the 36-year-old Henry Burgess. They were begging it there. <laughs> like, they were looking for that because connections don't just happen when you're mopping up someone's blood on a Friday night. It's not, like, it's not a romantic situation. <laughs> no. Um, though technically old enough to be her father. Ew. <laughs> well, he was 36 and she was 18. So yeah, oh, if he'd had just... it when he was 18, like he could technically be old enough to be a dad. But I think that seems... Like, I think it's that weird. Like, I think it's because now 30s just seems young to me. But if one of my students said, I've got a boyfriend, he's 36. Yeah. I'd be like, let's get on the blower to the point. Well, if one of my friends, I have a friend who is 36 and he's dating a 20 year old and I call him her paedophile all of the time. (laughs) You would. I think it's really inappropriate. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like, like it's not going to get on TLC or something. True. But so while the pair were chatting just before they were leaving, married father of three Burgess claimed he was single and asked Veronica to meet up with him when they were both off work. Um, Although I think from her perspective, I know he said he was single and fine, but having dated a lot of 30 year old men in the last time I was single, there's usually a reason. <laughs> Either they've got baggage, like it's really hard to find one who isn't divorced with kids or it's pretty soon becomes apparent why they've never had that yeah. opportunity. Something's usually up. And he had his fair share of baggage. Um, he was still in the relationship and he lived in the family home. Uh, but despite this, Burgess and Veronica began to have a steamy affair. He kept his family a secret and said to her, uh, said to her Veronica that is, that he was living in a police hostel and they didn't allow female visitors, so that's why he could never bring her around his house. Instead, they would meet at um, some rooms that he'd rented. I always think that's really grim. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast before, but um, when I used to live um, uh, like in a shared house, and then a room came up free, and uh, that someone offered that could they just have it as like somewhere they go and shag during the day for their affair, and then. But I, like we were all. Did like, you let them? No. Well, it wasn't up to me. It was up to my landlord who owns the house. But she was like, "Oh no, that's weird." And we were all like, "Yeah, that's pretty weird. We haven't got locks on our doors. We don't really want them like shagging all over the house when we're out." I mean, I know oh. technically it's none of your business, but you don't want to feel like you're facilitating. Yeah. Uh, an adult. I mean, it's easy rent, and there's no one using up the kitchen. But then. But also, it's like a creepy presence. Yeah. Oh, it's gross. So we said no. No, thank you. So, after six months of their carrying on, something prompted Burgess to tell Veronica the truth about his wife and children. I don't know why you ever would, but maybe she's just asking so many questions. If you've been dating for six months, you're getting to the point where you're like, do you love me? What's happening here? Maybe he watched something. Like, my friend told her husband that she was cheating on him because she watched Mistresses one night. Oh. And they were on about cheating and coming clean. She was like, to go tell him whoa (laughs) that's impressive didn't end well though well she's with the other guy now that she was cheating with apparently he was down as lucy in her phone for a long time 
and that's the reason because uh he phoned and it flashed up lucy and then the husband picked it up was like hi lucy and the other guy was like uh <laughs> oh god like, don't cheat like let's just stop don't no- use my name nobody cheat so anyway um veronica was just so infatuated with him that she just agreed to be his mistress until he got a divorce so Burgess kept his rented love nest and he was able to say to his wife that it was shifts at work and overtime and stuff that was keeping him away from home and this continued for four years whoa so, so oh she could have had a, like a proper relationship in that time exactly he was taking the best someone. years of her life 18 to 22 yeah. obviously she was young so you can you can't blame her for she fancied this older guy he's a police sergeant they go like whisking her away to places like yeah you'd be into it and you don't think you think everything's brilliant you think if you're in love that that's and it, then it's meant to be. And if yeah. you're in love, then everything's going to be fine. And it doesn't matter because one day you'll be together. It's not fucking true. <laughs> it's not. Anyone can fall in love with pretty much anyone. <laughs> Spend enough time with them. It'll happen. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but I think she could have done better. Like there's not a one is what I'm saying. No. Four years. Um, so 1964, Veronica, like it just, sorry, it just frustrates me when young mm. girls, like, you know, now I'm on the other side of it. I just feel like I should be going out and telling young girls to dump all the weirdos. <laughs> just dump them all. Stop investing your time in weirdos. You're right. You're right. Go traveling. Yeah. But I don't know. Get, walk dogs in your free time. Go, I don't know. Mm. Learn to crochet. <laughs> crochet feminist slogans into blankets and then give them to homeless people. There's so many better things you can be doing with your time. Okay. Anyway, 1964. Veronica was getting fed up of being the mistress, finally. Good. And she wanted to become his wife. She didn't want still to dump him. So she continued with the relationship, but she was making her feelings known. And... I think all of us, again, in my sage wisdom, I think we all know that if you nag about being married, it doesn't make people want to marry you. No. Um, so she, things started to get awkward and things started to cool a little bit. So what was weird, though, I found about this was that their relationship wasn't all like skulking around and hidden. Like from her side... He was being this dutiful boyfriend. Like she would live, she had a flat where she lived in the week when she was at work. And then at weekends, she would stay at home with her parents around East Ham. And Burgess would go and see her when she was at her parents' house. And like he met her mom and dad and went out to the pub with her dad. And Did they know it was an affair? They didn't know it was an affair. I mean, I guess this is like pre-Facebook. You couldn't get away with it now because you'd be tagged in a photo within about five minutes. But he was really, like, invested in it. He was, yeah. you know, her family and everything. So things began to start changing that Christmas Eve. So rather than be with his family, Sergeant Burgess went on a date with Veronica. I mean, you've got three young children. You'd think Chris... Anyway, just being judgy tonight. <laughs> he went on a date with her. Though he knew something was wrong because she hadn't kissed him in the usual way she would. Like, she was being a bit off. Um, later that night... 
they were back at Veronica's parents' house and they had it to themselves. So they were sat on the sofa together and obviously Henry Burgess, trained police officer, used to spotting things. He noticed a photograph on the mantelpiece that had just been placed behind an ornament. So sort of like in an effort to hide it. So he pulled it out and it was a photograph of a young man. And so he was like, who is it? Why has it just been hidden here? And Veronica just was trying to say, oh, it's a guy I met when we were up in Scotland. He's just a friend. Like, isn't anyone? He can hardly get jealous. I mean, come on. Exactly. Well, then, in the reports I read, it said that, oh, she eventually admitted that he was a boyfriend. This boyfriend's never mentioned before. So I think he was just, like, they're having this couple's argument. He's just going on and on. Who is he? Who is he? So I think she just eventually said, well, he's my boyfriend. What are you going to do about it? You're married anyway. Yeah. And like, it just was an argument in that way. Just to see what would happen, I think. Because if you're jealous, what do you want to do? Like, if you want to be with me, let's just be together. Because she could have, if she wants to be with this guy, she could have just ended it with him. Unless she was scared of him. Because he's got a wife and stuff anyway. Just be with the guy. A lot more simple. Exactly. But... She was probably using it maybe to get him jealous, get him riled up. Yeah, so I'm not sure the boyfriend thing's true. But whether it was or it wasn't, she told Burgess, he's my boyfriend, we're going to get married. Unless you want to marry me. Um, (laughs) The people want to marry you. you Yeah, exactly. Um, Burgess said that he was not going to divorce his wife. it It was just not going to happen. And so she was like, right, well then this is over get out, we're done. So that's what happened. Um, Over Christmas, Veronica's parents said that she was really down and that it just got worse and worse until she was in a, like a depression. So eventually she decided that she just had to see Henry Burgess again. And so she went to find him at the local police drinking hole. And then they eventually went back to the rented place. She asked him again, after they slept together, she asked again, like, are you going to divorce your wife? And same again, he just said, no, it's not happening. You can have me in this way, but I'm not getting divorced. So she was absolutely devastated. This time when she went home, she did tell her parents everything about the true nature of their relationship. So, I mean, you can imagine her parents' reaction. Like, parents are always a bit iffy about who you date aren't they and wanting yeah. them to be the best so not only so like now she's saying yeah he's got a wife and kids this whole time they would have been absolutely fuming yeah like so. I, yeah i'd be really mortified at her choices if i was a parent um, yeah my parents would be furious with yeah. me for going yeah. along with it but at the same time you'd be devastated too so a week later, Burgess had come over to her parents' house to try and talk to her. And this time her dad was like, you're not welcome here. You need to leave now. So now things were slightly different. Now that her parents knew and he couldn't get close to the house, it was over, but it was over on her terms this time. Not like, well, if you want to be with me, be with me. If you don't, like it was, he couldn't have her. Yeah. And Burgess just couldn't hack this. And he was flipping between like the agony of loving her and then this like passionate hatred for her because of what she'd done. And he said that he'd even thought about killing her because if she couldn't be with him, he didn't want her to be with anybody else. And he just became like a man obsessed 
So that was around Christmas time. And then it was May of 1965, the following year, that things came to a head. So it had been months of this back and forth, months of this stewing, and neither of them had forgotten each other. And you know, in this whole time, the hardest thing is being one of their friends. Oh Oh my god Somebody do something Because I am sick of hearing it Your nightmare My my friend was having an affair Oh god the amount of like Romps in the bushes that I had to hear about (gasps) And the Oh he's got a wife Like yeah we know he's got a fucking wife Just find someone else (laughs) Yeah exactly We're never going to care about this relationship While he's got a wife Yeah Um so 1965, May the 14th, Burgess went drinking after work. Apparently he stayed sober. I think this is flagged up as a way of saying that he was in his right mind, but he had been to the police club after work and then he'd been to another pub after. At midnight, he came home. So I don't think he was sober sober. Yeah. He came home at midnight and he told his wife what he was thinking. He had already told her about the affair. Oh, And they stayed together. But this time he came home and told her that I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill Veronica. Like months later, I think I'm just going to kill her now. So his wife obviously tried to stop him, but he grabbed his revolver and just pushed past her and out of the house. He'd also kept a key to Veronica's parents' house, which he took with him as he headed off on his motorbike. Oh my God, that wife. was. Did she phone the police? What's so amazing about him? Like here. Here's a picture of him. Let me show you his little face. Ew. He looks older than 36, right? Well, he would have been, what, 40 at this point? Yeah. No, he looks way older. He looks like an impressionist painter. He looks chubby. I mean, I can only see his face and shoulders, but... A lot of facial hair. Stocky. Yeah. Nothing particularly, like, dashing about him. No. But all these women will stay with him no matter what. So, he arrived at Veronica's parents' home and let himself in using the key. So Veronica's mother, Mrs. Baker, she heard the key in the door and just thought, oh, it's my son coming home eventually from the pub. So she went to see him and greet him and was brought face to face with the gun-wielding Burgess. Her husband then followed to see what was happening. Burgess said, I don't want to hurt you, basically. But he did say... I just kill your daughter a second? Yeah, he did say, he's like, I've come to kill Veronica. What? So her parents... like, oh, that's fine. Off you go. Yeah, what did he think was going to happen? So they, like, parents will fiercely defend their children above anything else. So his parents blocked his path, saying, we're not going to let this happen. And he says that he warned them to step back or he'd have to do something about it. And when they refused to just clear the way, he opened fire. Uh, Mrs. Baker was shot in the stomach and Mr. Baker was shot in the thigh. So at this point, they'd been shouting and there'd been now two gunshots. Veronica was coming down the stairs and with her parents still reeling from their injuries, Veronica was then also shot in the stomach. Oh my God. It's like another weird, not easy to explain, like active violence isn't it like both of our killers today haven't done anything like this before and just suddenly just were like yeah i'm just gonna do some murder yeah and just so determined like this murder's going to happen but not really being able to say why it had to happen really strange so then it said that what she was laying there and she was obviously bleeding that she was murmuring and in 
the article that I've got here is from another true detective one. And it said that she said to him, I never stopped loving you. Right before he held the gun. He held the gun to her chest and fired a second fatal shot. That's just so... Because she hadn't lived her life. She could have moved on, had a family. and It's just all been wrapped up in this prick. Yeah, he could have let her have a life. Or he could have let her have a life with him. But he chose to fuck everything up yeah so following this though he did go straight to the closest <laughs> i said that like it was a good thing he went straight to the closest police station and turned himself in um mrs baker the mother her injuries were so severe that by the time burgess appeared in court um just for the hearing he was charged with one count of murder two counts of attempted murder she was still in a critical state in hospital Whoa. mr baker he was called to give evidence at the hearing but again, he was still unable to stand from his own injury and he just presented his version of events and he was just overcome with emotion about the whole situation. And so her father, Mr. Baker, he explained that when he was faced with the gun, he and his wife had tried to calm Burgess down. They were trying to get him to sit down, trying to get him to talk. And he recalled how his wife had said, you are not going to kill my Veronica. And that was at this point the gun was turned on her and she was shot. He then said that he moved towards Burgess to try and stop him when he'd seen Veronica coming down. And the next thing was the bang and just this burning pain in his left leg. So Burgess did go to trial at London Central Criminal Court in July. He pleaded not guilty to capital murder. He was hoping for manslaughter. Um, He told the jury about his feelings towards Veronica. He stated, I wanted her, but I wanted my family as well. Well, you've got neither now, so well done. Exactly. What's up. worse? Like, why would... I didn't... Yeah, you can... He's like, I'm not going to divorce my wife because that's going to ruin my family. I'm going to go to prison for murder. Yeah. That, that doesn't keep they're your gonna family. they're going to love that. Yeah, like, divorce is not the worst thing. Yeah. So, he explained that he'd been driven mad with jealousy ever since he had seen the photograph of the Scottish man and felt he couldn't stop himself from killing her. Or just be with her then. Maybe that's a little bit like the same thing. Maybe he's been a psychopath this whole whole time and his obsession was the fact that he'd had this girl from, presumably from, might have been her first, and then didn't want anyone else to have her. And maybe that's why he couldn't divorce his wife because she was his and he didn't want anyone else to have her either. Maybe. Maybe it's just that he likes to control the women like that he wants to possess the women in his life because neither of them he could let go yeah so yeah and he said he just couldn't stop himself so his defense tried to argue a case for diminished responsibility saying that he had no control of himself and dr ellis stungo of harley street testified that burgess was um unstable and prone to morbid impulses and depression He said that the emotions Burgess was feeling at the time had affected his rational judgment and therefore affected his responsibility. So basically, like, he was angry, so it's kind of okay. It's like a kid's thing. Like, he's like, I'll punch someone, but it was fine because I was upset. It's almost like, um, have you read the poem Porphyria's Lover? Mm -mm. It's about a guy who this woman loves him and he just wants, like, he... He's so into it that he kills her because he doesn't want her to feel anything else. It's like a grim version of that. Like, But almost like the justification is, oh, well, it's about love, so it's sort of romantic. Well, but his is more than like, his is more just like, you can't blame me because I was under pressure, pretty yeah. much. 
But it's like loads of people might be upset, but they manage to control their impulse to act out. So why are you any different? He's not got any reason, really. So obviously the prosecution were like, that's bullshit. They called their own expert, Desmond Curran, who is a professor of psychiatry. And he said that after two interviews with Burgess, he couldn't find any evidence that he was suffering from any sort of abnormality of the mind. The judge was unimpressed with Burgess' defense. And when he was summing up, he spoke about how um, trying to say that your strong emotions were causing you not to... um, be able to control yourself is just an easy excuse for anyone who's committed murder he was like if we do this then every single person that commits murder is going to say well i was feeling this way so um so the jury deliberated though for 90 minutes which i feel is quite a long time for someone who turned themselves in yeah so they were actually considering whether or not they obviously this debate was clearly going on about well maybe like the coffees were good Maybe. I just think, yeah, we've got to go home soon. My friend's got jury duty and I'm so jealous. (laughs) It was obviously this issue with whether the the attempted murders too and whether or not they were. But eventually he was found guilty of murder and then two counts of grievous bodily harm against Veronica's parents. So the judge did send him to death, sentence him to death. The death sentence in 1965 had just been suspended actually with... They were trying to get it abolished. So initially it was suspended and then it was abolished in 1969. So Burgess's sentence was changed to life in prison and he was released after serving just 12 years in 1977. 12 years? 12 years for shooting a woman to death and then shooting her parents. I don't think that's... That's not fair. No. But that's it. We're done. Okay, guys, so thanks for listening to those two really horrible crimes. Um, if you would like to support the podcast, don't forget you can do that on patreon.com forward slash sword to the pod. Um, and you can just donate some money to us monthly, just small amounts there. Uh, you can tweet us at slaughter the pod you can email us slaughter the podcast at gmail.com you can join the facebook group if you're interested in buying some t-shirts or merchandise for someone that you know that loves the podcast don't forget you the best way to find it is to go onto the facebook group just type in s apostrophe laughter it should come up and uh the pinned post has got some links to the merchandise there so uh that supports us as well and we get the money from that so that would be a really great support Uh, i hope you guys have a lovely christmas and a happy new year and we'll be back in a few weeks see you soon bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.